Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Well, amen. Was I the only one while we were singing that uh, last song and as well, that last verse? I just I kind of wanted to, to, to kind of take off and, uh, when we started singing about the, the clouds uh, being rolled back. If you would, open up your Bibles to two different uh, places. First of all, go to the book of Ephesians in the sixth chapter. And if you'll just uh, put a place marker there. And then if you'll turn over uh, to the book of Revelation and go to the 22nd chapter. Ephesians chapter 6 and Revelation 22. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you. I thank you for um, all that you've done in our lives. I thank you for this uh, message series that we have gone through as we've uh, dove into your word. I thank you for the blessings that have been promised in it. And Lord, I thank you for the promise that you are one day coming back. And Lord, we believe that day is very near. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today, in the last week of the beginning of the end times, the sermon title is called Spiritual Prepping. And I don't know if you've ever seen, but there's a TV show out there called Preppers. And there are people who specialize in um, some kind of calamity that's about to come on this world. I mean, it may be a nuclear holocaust. It may be, um, you know, an earthquake that, that half the United States separates apart from each other. Um, it doesn't matter what it is. They are prepared. And so there's a, a group that have, um, and they call themselves preppers. And, and many of them will dig out holes in the ground and they'll, they'll put in different uh, containers and compartments so that uh, in the day that those bad things happen, they've got a place to go. And inside they store all kinds of food or anything they can think of that in the event of that horrific tragedy, they will be prepared. You know, um, it was really funny because there, there was a, a season in our life, it was the summertime, and we were visiting our kids, and our kids were uh, binge-watching this show called Preppers. And so we just started watching, binge-watching the, the show called Preppers. And, and it was funny how everyone in the family were, were taking on different characters. And, and, and what really surprised me is my wife wanted to become a mechanic because of watching the show Preppers. She goes, you know, I need, I need another skill. You know, and so the, she wanted to add mechanical as one of her skills so that, you know, she could go to a junkyard and, and pull things apart and create solar uh, powered, uh, all kinds of things. And um, each of our sons had a different uh, flavor of the way that they wanted to become a prepper. Our daughter-in-law uh, had another one. Uh, I just wanted to survive. I wanted as much guns and ammo as could, I could possibly get my hands on. And uh, so each of us were just a little, a little different. Now, let me, let me just explain to you, not only was that show Preppers, but um, 
If you don't know this, I just got out of the military uh, in January of this year, spent 28 years in the Air Force, and one of the things that the Air Force would do regularly is um, train us. And normally when they trained us, the Air Force, now, now guys in the Navy and the Marine Corps and the Army, don't laugh when I say this, but, but the Air Force would send us to what we would call an austere location. All right, now that was different for Air Force from the Army and the Marines and the Navy and um, and so uh, one of the things that I was known for was that whatever training, however long it was going to be, whatever environment we were put in, I was prepared. I mean, it didn't matter where we went, the, the environment, I was ready for whatever was going to happen. Matter of fact, the, the word had gotten out, and so everybody knew if you missed something, you forgot something, you didn't have it in your bag, go see Sergeant Tabor, he would take care of you. Why? Because I didn't just bring enough for myself. I brought enough for the people who didn't prepare. Well, I want to share that concept with you uh, today when it comes to spiritually being prepared. Because the end time is coming. Uh, the, the day that the Lord will appear is right around the corner. It could be right on the horizon. And the most important thing for everybody is to be prepared. Now, this is the end of the culmination of 10 weeks. This is the, the last week. So let me just kind of refresh everybody's memory of what we did. Now, this 10 weeks was divided over. Um, I, I broke it up into three different sections. So the first three weeks um, I covered in week number one, what was called a term, the fullness of the Gentiles. Now, uh, if you are not Jewish, you are a Gentile based on scripture. And the Bible teaches that there is coming a time when the time of the Gentiles, which we are living in, will, will, will be filled, fooled. And Jesus, or, or God, is going to call those in the church, which is, that's what we are. If you are a Christ follower, you have asked Jesus Christ into your heart, you are uh, one day uh, going to be, at the end of this fullness of the Gentiles, you're going to be called home. Well, the second week I talked about a concept called Israel's fullness. Now, it's amazing that one of the smallest nations in the world takes up the almost exclusively the majority of the headlines that you read if you look at world politics. And I showed you that God is not through with Israel yet. He's put them on pause and uh, he promised them that they had 70 weeks of judgment. And, and he laid out specifically in Daniel the first 69 of those weeks. Gave us the start to the, the date that it would finish. And surprise, 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 God was right on time. But what he said is that there's a 70th week coming. And this week is made up of seven years. Uh, this is a time that we call the tribulation. And then the third week I talked to you about probably the most preposterous ideal in the Bible, and that is the rapture. That event in the twinkling of an eye, not the blinking, the twinkling of an eye, those who are alive will be called up to heaven. Those who have uh, gone on before us, their bodies will be brought back together and they will meet us in the end. It's going to be a wonderful time. Well, 
we finished the week three, then we went into the second phase, and that was Daniel's 70th week or the tribulation. And in the first week, I introduced you to two characters that will um, be world leaders during this time. One was called the Antichrist, and the other was the false prophet. These are going to be um, men, and I'm not sure that they're actually uh, men like normal humans like us. But these are going to be men that are, have Satan's mission in mind. They are going to be his tools. But if you came back the next week, you heard about God's witnesses, where he raises up two of his own witnesses. And these two witnesses will be thorns in the sides of both of these men. And they will do uh, miraculous uh, things. And they will be calling the nation of Israel to repentance. And not only did God bring those two witnesses, but he also has promised 144,000 witnesses that would be sealed, evangelists, that will go to every tribe and every nation, sharing with them that the end is near, that Jesus is coming, that what we've been reading in Scripture is being fulfilled. Well, the third week of uh, the four weeks of the tribulation, I talked about God's wrath. There's coming a time where God... All that has been stored up is going to pour out his wrath on this earth. You know, we have not been very good stewards. And I don't mean taking care of the earth. I mean very good stewards of living the way that God designed us to live. Matter of fact, uh, some have been specialized in, in flaunting it in God's face. And one day God is going to deal with them directly. And then the fourth week, I talked about a, an event probably everybody in here is familiar with called Armageddon. And, and probably the most amazing thing about Armageddon is there's really not any fighting going on. Everyone comes to pre- prepare to fight against God himself and God just speaking conquers them. Well, in the last three weeks, uh, I talked about the millennial kingdom where Jesus Christ is going to return and he is bodily, physically going to be here on this earth and he is going to reign for a thousand years. And during that thousand years, Satan is going to be bound up and cast into the uh, bottomless pit. And then at the end of that thousand years, he'll be released. And amazingly, after a thousand years of living under the rule of Jesus Christ, there will be an untold multitude that will follow Satan again. So if you've ever convinced yourself that, you know what, if it was me in the Garden of um, Eden, I would have done better than Adam or Eve. I'm here to tell you, it's just not true. And then last week I talked about judgment. You know, see, there's going to be two judgments that are on the horizon. One judgment will happen during that 70th week, and that's those believers who have been taken up in the rapture. They will stand before God and they will give an answer for how we have lived from the time that we asked Jesus into our heart until the time that either we uh, died or we are called home to heaven. And there's another judgment, the great white throne judgment that happens at the end of the thousand year reign. And when that happens, the only people that will be standing before God are those who rejected him. who did not accept the gift that was promised. And at the end of it, all of them will be thrown into the lake of fire. And that's where they'll spend eternity. And if I, could, if I just could give you two messages that you needed to hear, it would be the first week and it would be this week. 
Because on the first week, I, I talked to you about the seven churches. And if you look in Revelation 1, 2, and 3, there's a message to seven different churches. And I believe that every church in America, every church in the world, falls into the category of one of those seven churches. Matter of fact, I believe that every believer sitting here today, everyone that hears this message, as an individual, falls into one of those categories. And every one of those churches was given a warning. They were told what they're doing right. And they were told what they need to be doing. And it's incumbent upon us as Christians to know where we're at in one of those seven and how we should be living. And so today I want to show you how we should be living. And the answer we find is in the book of Revelation 22. And let me start there. If you'll join me, I'm going to read Revelation 22, starting in verse 6. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And in verse 7, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. You see, Revelation started off with a, a promise in verse 3 of chapter 1. And here in the last chapter, it is finished with a promise. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. In verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down and I worshipped at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Friends, no matter what you have taken from this, no matter where your study has led you, if it hasn't led you to worship God more, you missed the mark. I would encourage you to go back and reread Revelation because everything in this should draw us to more worship to God. In verse 10, it says, And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. And I find that interesting because if you go back into Daniel and you read in verses 12 and uh, chapter 12 and verse 4, he told Daniel to seal up the words because the time was not near. And Daniel wrote his um, letter about 600 B.C. John is writing this about 95 A.D. So there's almost 700 years between the time that uh, the prophecy is given to Daniel and he's told to seal it. And then the prophecy is given to John. He says, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Why? For the time is near. You know, one of the three principles that I ask you to remember is context. And so when it came to uh, Daniel and John, and they were both given a very similar prophecy, which was uh, a lot of the same information, they were, had two different contexts. In Daniel's time, the, the time was not near. See, the Messiah had not come. The, it had not been fulfilled. And now in John, he is about 60 years beyond the time that Jesus went back to heaven. After the time that Jesus paid the price on the cross. You know, when I, when I hear something like this, for the time is near, I can't help but think of traveling with children. I don't know if your children do this, uh, but mine did this. And that was, are we there yet? If I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times. 
And so what I would try to do is I would try to frame it. And I would tell them, and you know, you know uh, very eloquently I would share with them that, you know, when we get into this state and at this mile marker, we'll be close. Well, the, what I didn't realize was they didn't wait until we even got into that state. They would ask again, are we there yet? And I would explain to them a hundred times what I was trying to do. But you know what? All I was doing, I believe, was wasting my breath. Why? Because my children didn't understand the context. Well, we as Christians need to understand the context. And so John elaborates on this through the words of Jesus. In verse 11, he says, let the evildoers still do evil and the filthy still be filthy. You know, this should be a lesson for us in the church. We are spending way too much time trying to clean people up instead of just getting them in front of the gospel. You know, um, the gospel will take care of that part of it. And here's what it says that we're supposed to do. And the righteous still do right. And the holy still be holy. What he's saying here is life is going to go on. Things are going to go just like they've been. You're going to be persecuted for my name's sake. You are going to be laughed at. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be mocked. But you still do the right thing. You still be holy. Set yourself apart in the way that you live. Friends, I hate to tell you this, but America is going to continue to decline both culturally and morally. We have been on a decline for some time. Uh, we, some some uh, times we, we go a little steeper, a little faster into that, uh, that decline. And sometimes we seem to slow things down. But I'm here to tell you that our uh, salvation is not in any one that we vote for. That's right. It's only in the person that we ask to be our Lord and Savior. In verse 12, it says, behold, I'm coming soon. Are we there yet? Good news, I'm here to tell you that we are. We are at the beginning of the end times. Uh, we, and, and I say this, and obviously it's obviously true, Captain Obvious again. But we are closer today to Jesus' return than we've ever been. And the reality is this, that more things are being fulfilled in Scripture today over the last 10 years that should... should Wake us up as Christians and not allow us to fall asleep on the mission that God has brought us into. So he says, behold, I'm coming soon and I'm bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. You know, the way that we have lived, God is going to reward us for that. Verse 13, he says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Listen, outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify you about these things. Why? For the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. I just want to give you a flashback. If you'll turn in your Bibles, just back a couple of chapters to chapter uh, 2 of Revelation. And I'm just going to read in verse 1 in a few verses. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, 
The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Here's what he said. I know your works. I know the results of your faith. I know your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. And the reality is this, that many times as Christ followers, we can grow weary. We can grow weary um, in our jobs. We can grow weary with our families. We can grow weary in our life circumstances. And, and the reason why we're doing that is because we don't realize what's going on. Let me share with you what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. But before I do that, in verse 7 of uh, chapter 2, he said this, He who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let me share with you what Paul gave advice to the churches on how to conquer. And if you would turn in your over to Ephesians chapter six, and I'll be reading from there. In verse 10, it says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Say that with me. Be strong in the Lord. One more time. Be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Say that with me. Schemes. One more time. Schemes. I mean, that doesn't even roll off your tongue very nice, does it? That just sounds like a bad word. But the truth of the matter is that your enemy, my enemy, the enemy of God himself is out there scheming to try to trip you up. He's scheming so that you will grow weary. He's scheming so that you will fall. But I'm here to tell you that the same Bible that tells you that there is a real God tells us that there is a very real devil and there are cosmic forces. There is a supernatural realm that if you're not aware of, you are clueless and you are losing the battle that God has already won. Why? Because this cosmic forces they are highly organized and they are totally ruthless and let me tell you this that they are absolutely committed to destroying you and by destroying you they are going to stop any opportunity that you have to further the kingdom and when we're ignorant of this we can let ourselves be defeated so what do we do? We need to be prepared. How do we get prepared? Verse 12 in Ephesians chapter 6 says this. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against the natural. And unfortunately, most of us are wrestling against the natural. We're wrestling against somebody that we can see. We're wrestling against somebody that we can touch. We're wrestling against something that, that we can um, visualize in our own mind. And we miss the whole point that what God has done. See, because he says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against, against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Church, we need to realize that we are in the midst of a supernatural war. We're in a war between light and darkness. We're in a war between good and evil. We are in a war between righteousness and filthiness. We're in a war between Christ and Antichrist. And don't you for a minute think that it's waiting until that Antichrist, that person who personifies the absolute opposite of everything about God, we ourselves can live our lives in a way that is Antichrist. 
by denying what we see in the scripture. This supernatural war started in the Garden of Eden. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 3, and it is a fight to the finish, my friends. It's not a fight until you get tired. It's not a fight until we get weary. This is a fight for all time. Let me tell you that those cosmic forces, they know that this is a fight for the end. And because of that, they are going to attack your mind. They're going to attack your body. They're going to attack your marriage. They're going to attack your finances. They're going to attack your children. They're going to attack the relationships that you're in. So knowing that the enemy is out there and he is going to attack and his force is going to attack against us, how are we to be prepared here in the church? Why? Because we are still in this natural body. Well, God gives the answer in verse 13. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Say that, whole armor of God. One more time, whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. See, Christians, we need to lay down our earthly weapons, our natural weapons. Why? Because they do not work. And we need to start taking up the weapons that have been uh, designed to actually benefit us in this battle. Verse 14, it tells us about these seven different weapons. The first one is stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, I don't know if you've been listening, but the word truth and uh, lies have been read a lot as we read through the book of Revelation. The, the truth of the matter is this, that our enemy is called the father of lies in Scripture. He's called the deceiver. And if you don't take the belt of truth and wrap that around you, you will lose the battle. Because what the enemy is going to do, he's going to do exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden. The first thing he'll do is question God's word. Then he's going to twist God's word. And then he's going to finish with denying God's word. And if you don't realize you're in a fight with the enemy, you will one day end up doing one, if not all three of these things. When I think about this from a cultural or a macro level, um, here in America, we have allowed the plight of abortion to go on way too far. See, what they did was they questioned God's word and, and we asked the question, well, when does life begin? And then the enemy twisted God's word and somehow we figured out that it's my body and I'm allowed to do whatever I want with that life. And then ultimately we decided that we would deny God's word. And what we said was that's not murder. Well, it's not just that. Uh, if you just look at any flavor of the um, sexuality argument that's going on in our world today, See, they start by questioning God's word and they say this, I was born like this. Then they twist God's word and if you go into 2 Timothy 4 and verses 3 and 4, it says, For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they will accumulate teachers to suit their own passions. And listen to this, and they'll turn away from the truth. Folks, we need the belt of truth. Jesus himself told us in John chapter 8 that the truth shall set you free. See, the truth gives you freedom to move in this battle. If you don't have on a belt, you're going to find out that you will one day suffer from poor posture. And when you suffer from poor posture in the spiritual battle, it results in sloppy Christianity. And what happens is somebody starts calling you a hypocrite. And what happens is they say, I'm not going to that church because there's too many hypocrites there. Look, I, I, the biggest hypocrite in this church stands right up here. Folks, I don't deny that I'm a hypocrite. 
I want to live up to God's word, but many times, in many ways, I fail to do this. You know what happens when I do that? I'm a hypocrite. And what I think is ironic is that they're going to stay home because that's where the hypocrites are not. You see, we need to put on the belt of truth because it's going to keep us from getting injured. Because when we don't have our loins girt up spiritually, you'll find out that you'll leave the faith. You see this, uh, uh, some prominent uh, Christians, influencers have recently talked about how the, that they have lost their faith. Folks, they're not the, the first, they're not the last. They have allowed the enemy. They lost the truth. They didn't keep the belt of truth on. And because of that, they have fallen. Another thing that happens if you don't have the belt of truth on is you're going to get fatigued. This is what the Bible talks about being weary and well-doing. See, when you have the truth wrapped around you tightly, no matter what is said, no matter what is brought up against you, you can always fall back on that. Let me just read what Jesus said in John 8. He said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, the truth can't set you free unless you know it's the truth. I can, this is why I encourage you. What was the, the three points? Number one is don't try, take my word for it. You need to go out there and dig and find the truth for yourselves. And if you don't find the truth, I can tell you this, that if you rely on what I'm saying, and one day somebody's going to come up and say something different, and you're going to start listening to that. And if theirs doesn't line up with God's word, you are going to fall away. Well, we don't only need to put on the belt of truth. That's just the first. The second thing that we need to do is have on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, what's interesting is I'm sitting here and tell you that I'm the biggest hypocrite in this church, but I also can tell you that every morning I get to put on this breastplate of righteousness. And God, because of what he did on the cross through Jesus Christ, he imputes Jesus' righteousness and puts it on me. And so now I have a choice. I can either walk around and declare that I am righteous, or I can walk around and say, you know what, I'm unworthy. I'm worthless to the kingdom. I'm doing more harm than good. And we don't understand the power of I am statements. See, when we, when we take the I am statement that God gave us, I am righteous, we start to change the way that we act. Because when I say I'm unworthy, I act like I'm unworthy. When I tell myself that I'm uh, not worth doing any of these things, we end up living a very different lifestyle. When we tell ourselves that I'm a lost cause, we live like we're a lost cause. That's right. If we tell ourselves I'm horrible, we live like we are. When we tell ourselves I am the son of God, we start living like a son of God. When we tell ourselves that I am righteous, we start living like we're righteous. See, you choose the I am statements. This is one of the things, if I ever sit down with somebody and I go over goal setting, here's how we write our goals. I want to be. The problem is when we want to be, we hardly ever become. What happens though is when you find somebody that has embraced, they said, I am this. You'll find out that they live a very different way than we do. 
See, because here's what it looks like. I want to lose weight. And then we drive through Burger King. <laughs> See, it didn't change. We still want to lose weight. But when we say, I am living healthy, that changes what we're going to do. Because if I am living healthy, if you own Burger King stock, I'm sorry to say this, you're probably not going to do that accurately, truthfully, driving through Burger King. Now, folks, I go to Burger King a lot. Maybe too much. But when I'm living healthy, I don't. And the same thing's true for us in our walk with the Lord. We get to decide, what am I today? Because it's already been done for us. Listen to me. Colossians 2 and verse 13 says it this way. And you who were dead in your trespasses, that's me and you, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, I know you don't like that word picture, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How many? All. How many? All. The ones that we did up until we saved? All. all of them. He's forgiven us those trespasses. He's given us, he's imputed his righteousness so that we can't say, I am righteous because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Verse 14 in Colossians 2 says, by canceling the record of debt. Do you realize that every one of us has or had a record of debt? And there's two ways that you can get rid of it. One is you can live a perfect life and never, ever add anything to that record of debt. Or you can realize that, you know what, I have a debt and I have a record and the just God, the creator of this world is keeping it. But he made a way to pay for that. And here's how he explains it. By canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. Listen to me. Where did he put it? He nailed it to the cross. In verse 15, listen, folks, we're talking about a battle, right? We're talking about a cosmic forces that we can't see, but that are out there clobbering you upside the head. They're playing whack-a-mole with your life, and you don't realize what's going on. Verse 15 tells you, he, Jesus Christ, disarmed the rulers and authorities. And he put them to open shame. Why? By triumphing over them. That's why I can say I am righteous. It's not because of anything I've done. It's not because of anything I'm going to do. It's not because I'm a pastor. It's not because of uh, who I am, where I was born. It's because that Jesus Christ imputed his righteousness onto me. Verse 15 is for shoes. Having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You see, we need to start allowing our faith to find out the, where the rubber meets the road. Because when we put on the shoes, we get ready for battle. It gives us stability in uncertain times and allows us to keep our footing even when everything around us is shifting. A few weeks ago, I preached a sermon, the gospel above all. And if you'll recall Jesus, when he preached on this, the Sermon on the Mount, he started off with, blessed are the peacemakers. And you know, Christians, we need to figure out how that we take the gospel of peace and do it in a peaceable way. We need to figure out how that we can be Christians without being offensive. Folks, they already hate you because of the name of Jesus. Don't, let's not add to that. 
verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You see, faith is what you say when you believe in action. See, there's a lot of things that all of us say, I believe, I believe, I believe. But then we don't do anything that follows up that that would prove that point. Faith is when you act like God is telling you the truth. Oh, come on. That hurts, doesn't it? You read a a scripture, you put it out there on Facebook, and then 10 o'clock the devil or one of his minions comes and whacks you upside the head. And you're like, ah, why not put that out there? Why? Because we don't act like God is telling us the truth in that word. It sounded good. It sounds great for you. But uh, in my life, it it, it doesn't work that way. You see, the enemy is going to send his fiery arrows into your life to distract you. And I'm telling you this, that those arrows that he sends are going to cause you to question your faith. And all you got to do is grab on to the shield of faith that God has provided through his word and just hold it up. It will quench those fiery darts. It will put them out. You know, and one of the interesting things is as you look at the Roman army and the way that they would use these shields is when they got a couple of soldiers together and they were taking on a superior force that outnumbered them, they would lock their shields together. And you would, if you've watched movies about this, you'd hear them be yelling, hold the line! Well, folks, as Christians today, we need to learn how to lock our shields together. But the problem is that we forget that the Bible tells us that our enemy is the devil, that our enemy can't be seen, and instead of locking our shields together, we're pulling out our sword and we're hitting each other with it. Folks, I know this doesn't feel good, it doesn't sound right, but it's the truth. If we want to transform Centralia with the, the word of Jesus Christ by his name, We need to lock our shields together. We need to be able to uh, take on the devil and everything that he brings against us. You're going to have a great opportunity to do this in October. We're going to open up and have small groups again as we go through 40 days in God's word. Folks, don't miss out. When you see us talk about that, when you see the opportunity to sign up for one, I challenge you, don't go through this battle alone. Learn how to lock arms and put your shields together and realize that you're not the only person that the devil's beaten up on. You're not the only person that the enemy has come against. You're not the only person that's struggling. The next uh, piece of armor that we are supposed to bring is in verse 17 of Ephesians 6. and says, take the helmet of salvation. Church, the salvation is our liberation. It is what gives us liberty. It's what allows us to live free. Galatians 5.1 says it this way. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, stand firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Folks, we, we, we put down God's armor. And then we allow ourselves to fall back into the slavery to the evil one the enemy I cannot answer the question why did God choose to use us as instruments in this cosmic battle but he did see that's the purpose that he's put in each one of our lives 
And I don't know if you're familiar with your insurance coverage, but here's the, the salvation insurance coverage. It gives us comprehensive coverage. Now, if you've ever had anything happen and you've had to call your uh, insurance agent, you will find out that the word comprehensive means a lot. Because if you don't have the word comprehensive on it, I guarantee you, your insurance agent will figure out a way that it didn't qualify. But Jesus Christ gave us a comprehensive insurance policy called salvation. And it gives us everything that we need to remain safeguarded against the attacks of the enemy. You know, and it's interesting that it goes on our head to protect our mind. Romans 12 says it this way. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. See, that's what we do in our natural abilities. We just automatically conform to this world, but be transformed. And if you look up that word, you'll find out that it means to be completely changed from the inside out. How do we do that? By the renewing of our mind so that you may be able to prove what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. You see, when you start changing the way you look at things, things will change. When you start changing the way you look at life and realize that you are wearing the helmet of salvation every day, you'll realize that there's a lot that the enemy's bringing against you. That means nothing. You've got the coverage. And yet you'll take it off and you'll allow yourself to be defeated. The sixth piece in this God's armor is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Almost everything that I've talked to you about so far has been a defensive peace. God gives us the offense. See, if we want to be offensive, we can let God's word be offensive. Matter of fact, one of the most effective things you can do is allow people to read God's word. Not read it to them, thus saith the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that that's wrong, but I'm saying if you do it this way, what's that say? And they read it and, and they read, thus saith the Lord. They may tell you, yeah, I'm not, I ain't got time for that. But you'll be amazed how many times after they leave you, they get time for that. They pull out their phone and they pull up Google. And Google tells them, yep, that's thus saith the Lord. James 1.21 says it the best. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness. Come on, that word just keeps coming back up, doesn't it? And all the remains of wickedness, that's another word for evil. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And if you go through the Bible, you'll see that there's multiple different words that designate the scripture or the word of God. One is graph, which means the words on the page, the actual physical piece of this. There's another word, logos, which means the message. This is collectively the logos. And then there's another word. It's called rima. And this word rima, this is the word of God spoken to you. See, when you open up the word of God and you start reading it, and, and see, sometimes you'll read something and you'll get all excited and you'll share it with somebody and they're like, hmm? Why? It wasn't their rima. It was your rima. It was your word. It was what you needed right now. And your heavenly father knew that. And when you opened up the Bible, he took you right to it. 
Now, you can either believe that that was an accident or you can believe that your Heavenly Father cares about you. I know which way I want to believe. The last. In the book of Revelation, you'll hear a number many times. And so let me ask you, how many different pieces of armor do you think there are that I've about to cover? And I have one left. Seven. Typically, you'll hear people talk about six, but I think a lot of times we miss this other part of God's armor. In verse 18, listen, it says this, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. If you look through there, it tells you three times that you need to be praying. Number one is you need to be praying all the time. You mean I need to be praying right now? Yes, you need to be praying right now. Some of you is like, please stop. Others of you need to be praying that God will continue to work on your heart. Because if he doesn't get the victory in here and you don't allow him to have the victory, you're going to walk out of these doors and the enemy is going to clobber you. The second way is you need to be praying in the spirit. See, this is a spiritual battle. You need to get out of your flesh. You need to get out of the natural. You need to be praying in the spirit. And the third thing is you need to be praying with a fancy word called supplication. Now, um, I don't know if this happens to you, but I believe that almost all of us have fallen victim to this. But we, we come down and we get down on our knees and we start praying. And if you, and if you, he, if you listen really closely, you're going to hear what God hears. And this is what God hears a lot of times when we're praying. Me, 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 he didn't say, pray for me, 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 me. He said, pray for all the saints. Folks, every Sunday morning, we have a prayer list on the back there. I don't know how many of you pick that up, and I don't know how many of you pray through it. But you want to see God start answering those me, 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 me prayers? Start praying for all the saints. Matter of fact, I would encourage you that what you need to start doing is you need to, to pray down that list. You need to, when you walk by that board in the back that says, who's your one? There's a bunch of cards on there with first names. You need to take a picture of that and you need to be praying for as many of those. And then when you get done praying for 90 minutes on all that stuff, you need to take 30 seconds. And God, if you, if, if, if you have a little bit extra time in your busy schedule, I've got a couple things that I need. But unfortunately, we never learn how to pray that way. Unfortunately, all we know how to pray is, help! Now folks, I'm not telling you that God won't answer those prayers. But I'm telling you that if you want to fight this battle effectively, that you will learn to use this weapon of prayer by praying all the time, in the spirit, and for other people. Matter of fact, uh, here's one of the secrets of my prayer life. When I'm hurting in a certain area and I want to go to God and the me monster wants to jump out, I think about somebody who I know is going through something very similar to that. And then I pour my heart out to God on their behalf. 
Do you think God's smart enough to figure out that what I'm asking for that other person is probably what I'd like for myself as well? You know what? I do believe that omniscient God has that ability. But here's what I struggle with is that Christians who say they want to live victoriously and abundantly and yet they don't pray. When that happens, I, I find it hard to believe. Why? Because prayer is how we live in an abundance. Let me just close with the Bible story in three points. The Bible story is taken out of Matthew chapter 25 and verses 1 through 12. I'll just read this and then share the three points. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came for those who were ready, went in and with them to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open up to us. And he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Here are the three points you should be able to walk away from this. Number one, that there was five foolish and there were five wise. If you read any kind of article, they will tell you that approximately 50% of those who profess the name of Jesus are probably not actually Christians. Folks, every Sunday I have told you, make sure your salvation. Eternity is way too long for us to be wrong on this. Your pride is not worth the fact that you, you don't want to let people know that, you know what, I, I've never called on the name of Jesus. Folks, coming to this church service isn't going to get you into heaven. When the trumpet sounds, five of these are going to be called away and five are going to be left behind. And what, what's amazing is Jesus called this out in Matthew 24 in that they found themselves in foolish living, intoxicated with this life, or encumbered by the cares of this world. You know what? That's what holds most Christians back. We live our lives foolishly. Or we get intoxicated with power, with the job, with opportunities, with money. Or we just get overcome by the cares of this world. Folks, don't get me wrong. There's a way for us to live in balance. But I want to live like one of those wise, not one of the foolish. The second point you need to take away is this. You need to check your oil. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit bears witness in Romans 8, verse 16. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Probably one of the most often things that I deal with are Christians who are doubting their salvation. And what's interesting is they never doubt their salvations when they're on fire serving the Lord. When they doubt their salvation is when they are backslidden, when they have ran from God, when they have lived a life that they know isn't pleasing to God. And then all of a sudden, they wonder. Folks, you don't have to wonder. You don't have, I'd love to come and share this with you, but I'm going to take you to Romans 8.16. Has God's spirit been bearing witness with your spirit? If not, let's do something about that. If it is, let's listen to it and let's get those things right in our life. Because I've never doubted my salvation when I was serving God. But I can't tell you that there's been many times in my life where I have when I was running from God. The third point is this, that you cannot borrow 
Folks, if I could transfer my faith to you, I would. If I could help transfer the, the bell of truth and put it on you, I would do that in a moment. If I could take the gospel of uh, peace and the shoes that I'm wearing and give those to you, I'd do that. If I could give you the Holy Spirit and just pour a little bit out on you, I would do that in a moment. But this story that Jesus shared, that can't happen. I can talk about it. I can encourage you. But at the end of the day, you have to go and buy. You have to take, make the effort. You have to be prepared. You see, we are in a battle that God has given us. And he's given us the weapons. And he's given us the armor. The problem is that we need to know how to use those weapons. And not only do we need to know how to use those weapons, we need to use them. We need to make sure that we're wearing our armor on a daily basis. Folks, we are in a spiritual warfare and it's designed for spiritual people. And many of us have been fighting this spiritual battle with natural weapons and we've been losing. And you're going to continue to lose until you embrace Ephesians chapter 6. How many of you have had it with the enemy and you're ready to learn how to fight and win this war? The answer was given in Ephesians. It says, be strong in the Lord. Say that with me. Be strong in the Lord. You want to win the battle? Be strong in the Lord. This is God's fight. It's not ours. This is God's victory. It's already happened. It's not ours. This is all done for God's glory. It's not for our glory. This is all about God's kingdom, not ours. The biggest question you may need to answer is, are you not just in the battle, but are you in the correct battle? Are you fighting against the spiritual forces? Or are you fighting against the person sitting on the pew with you? This is much too important. This is about the eternal souls of men and women. This is about your sons and your daughters, your brothers and your sisters. This is about your neighbors. Folks, this is about the future of our nation. We have reached the time for those who name the name of God that we need to start suiting up and showing up. Folks, this is a fight to the finish. And I don't know about you, but I tend to. I want to be like Paul where he says, I've run the race. I've fought the fight. But to do that, we need to be able to resist the devil. Because God made it so simple. Draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. Resist the devil and he'll flee. Put on the whole armor of God and fight back. Quit allowing the enemy to attack your health and go to the great physician and allow him to heal. Quit allowing the enemy to attack your finance. God says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. He didn't say that if you were on a certain level of income. He said, bring all of it. And the, the problem is, most of us don't have enough faith to give up the 10% that God can bless the 90% more than you've ever. But if you ever talk to somebody who has lived a life of tithing, they will tell you that they couldn't do without it now. And I guarantee you they can show you time and time again how that God has blessed them. And, and it doesn't make sense. But you know what? In God's economy, it never will make sense. So stop allowing the devil to rob you of your peace because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Stop allowing the devil to rob you of your joy. Because when you spend time in the presence of our Lord, you experience what's called the fullness of joy. Do you want to live a victorious Christian life? 
Then get into the correct battle and put on the whole armor of God and fight for it in the strength of God. Do you want your friends to join you on friend day and allow them to hear the gospel? Then get into the correct battle, put on the whole armor of God, and fight for this in the strength of God. Do you want to see the greater Centralia area transformed through the name of Jesus Christ? If you do, then you need to get into the correct battle. You need to put on the whole armor of God, and you need to fight for it in the strength of God. Let me close with Revelation 22 one more time. Go with me to verse 16. It says this. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Listen to this. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires to take the water of the life without price come. I want to go back through that. I want you to watch this progression. The spirit and the bride. Who's the bride? It's the church. It says come. And then those who hear it and then they respond to it, what do they want to tell people? Come. And then who is thirsty? What are they supposed to do? I need to come. The time is coming when there is going to be no more night. The time is coming when the trumpet's going to sound and those that are in Christ are going to be in the twinkling of an eye are going to be with our Savior. When that time is past, you will not have the opportunity to tell your friends, your relatives, your neighbors to come. The time is now. What are you going to do? Are you going to call them? Are you going to invite them? Are you going to ask them? Or are you going to let the enemy, because faith will give you the opportunity Fear will paralyze you and not allow you to take out that action. Will you lock shields with me? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we believe that your son is coming back one day very soon. And Lord, he's going to reign on this earth for a thousand years bodily in the city of Jerusalem. But God, before that happens, you have called every one of us to be a witness to our friends. You've called every one of us to be a witness to our relatives. You've called every one of us to be a witness to those that are our neighbors, those that we come in contact with that have needs. God, I ask that you would allow us to be faithful. Help us to put this armor on and to win the victory that you have won. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.